Welcome to the Health Trip Podcast. My name is Jill Foos. I'm a functional medicine and integrative nutrition health coach. I created this podcast to bring you along as we travel down intriguing science-packed roads, debunking old medical paradigms and perusing new innovative therapies and modalities with the finest functional medicine doctors, practitioners, and like-minded biohackers while living our best life. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode on the Health Trip Podcast. This podcast is either going to resonate with you immediately or be an eye-opener. Either way, it's going to be intriguing. So today, my guest and I will be talking about stored trauma in the body, what it is, how it happens to us, and what we can do to heal ourselves. Midlife and menopause are hard enough, but if you are dealing with stored trauma, and most of us are, whether you think it or not then it makes for a much more complicated journey. I usually have a lot more to say in my openings, as you know, but with this topic, I've decided to keep it short and bring my guest in right away to start the deep dive because it's truly fascinating. Dr. Amy Apigian, a double board certified physician in preventive and addiction medicine with a double master's degrees in biochemistry and public health, is at the forefront of trauma and health. She combines her training across functional medicine, attachment, and trauma therapy to bring the biology of trauma lens to the world, where she shows the difference between stress and trauma to the body, and not just how trauma becomes our biology, but how our own biology keeps us stuck in chronic trauma patterns. She is the founder and CEO of Trauma Healing Accelerated and simplifies the complexities of unresolved stored trauma, offering a clear path forward and trains other professionals to do the same with their patients. Through her work, Dr. Amy has impacted over 300,000 people globally, training professionals, leading innovative online summits and courses, and hosting a podcast and YouTube channel. Dr. Amy's vision is to transform the trauma model, and her mission is to bring the lens of the biology of trauma to every medical and mental health educational system by the year 2041. A short medical disclaimer before we dive in, by listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice or to make any lifestyle changes to treat any medical condition in yourself or others. Consult your physician for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any of my guests on my podcast. So sit back, open your mind, and let's dive into stored trauma. Hi, Dr. Amy. Welcome to the Health Trip Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, me too. We are going to deep dive into stored trauma in the body and something I have not touched on. And I am super intrigued and fascinated by, um, and you are that person, but before we dive into that, um, for the community listening that might not be familiar with you and your work, I would love for you to share how you even moved away from that medical traditional healthcare model into what you're doing now. And just what, what brought you to that? Yeah, I was in that model. And so I was conventionally trained in medical school. I went to Loma Linda University, had a wonderful training. I went into general surgery residency, which is about as conventional model as you can get. And what shifted for me actually started when I foster parented and then adopted Miguel. And I had just finished my master's in biochemistry 
was going to be jumping back into third year of medical school, internal medicine rotation of all rotations. And I decided to use that time to become a foster parent. There was never the intention at that time to adopt. It was just, ah, I've got some time. I want to do something meaningful with my life. Let me become a foster parent. But by the time I got the phone call from the social worker, Rosa, that you'll never forget, I had already been back in the internal medicine rotation for third year medical school. And so I, I take Miguel on, he's four years old. He has one of the, one of the stories that's very common in those kids who are in the foster care system. He was placed at nine months old in the foster care system. And his, his exposure to trauma started in utero though. His, his mother likely was using substances. She herself was a foster child at that time. And so the instability of his early life was quite significant. And that had only continued while he was in foster care. So by the time he arrived to me as a four-year-old, I was still naively thinking, Jill, that my love, my stability that I can provide him, time, and this kid is going to rise above all of his childhood pain. And what I didn't understand yet was how much trauma becomes our biology. It, it isn't something that happened in our past. It actually becomes our present day patterns and how we continue to react to things and how we continue to actually have trauma responses. And all of this is reinforcing more and more biology. And as a physician, I started to connect dots that I had never connected before, especially around what is called the adverse childhood experiences study. And these were studies that started in the 1980s at Kaiser San Diego by a physician named Dr. Vincent Folletti. And he did something that is so different from the medical model in that he started asking his patients about their prior life experiences and found that obesity was strongly correlated with sexual abuse during childhood. Mm -hmm. All the other physicians that he worked with, his colleagues had no idea what to do with that information. They were like, but what am I supposed to do with that? Like, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a shrink. If I had wanted to become a therapist, I would have gone into the, you know, that, that training. Mm -hmm. I became a physician. And yet what I started to see, which was what Dr. Vincent Paletti was seeing was that you can't separate those. Mm. It has become mm -hmm. our biology. And what I've discovered since is that that same biology now will keep us stuck in trauma patterns. And that's what was happening with Miguel. He was stuck in always responding at that time. It was responding with aggression and rage at anything that felt vulnerable to him. And love was vulnerability. And so here I was pouring love into him and that's what would trigger him into rages and even wanting to hurt me and even telling me how he wanted to kill me. So that started, I mean, I, I say Miguel was my initiation and my inspiration. And so as a physician, I'm now digging into trying to understand how to help my son and all of the evidence-based studies and research weren't actually helpful to me. He wasn't actually responding to the, the best therapies that were supposed to work. And of course I see the psychiatrist and they just want to put him on medication. 
And so it really took me out of that conventional model then to say, I know that there's something else happening here. And a medication I feel would just be masking the symptom, but not addressing the root issue. And then I had my own story. So as, as I'm going through life, I did not think that I had had trauma, but a few years down the road, and I am having the same health symptoms, conditions, and diagnoses even of those who had severe trauma in their childhood. And I didn't understand it. So that was the journey that I went on at that point was realizing there was still something about trauma that I did not understand. And once it becomes your biology as an adult, once it becomes a diagnosis, I was on two mood medications. I had my autoimmune markers high that we were just waiting for the the butterfly rash to diagnose me with lupus. I had a number of things going on. I was definitely overweight and I had no answers from the medical system. And so I realized, yeah, I think this is also trauma, but is it even possible to change once it's become my, my health, my physical health? I didn't know, but I was determined to try to figure it out in order to get my own health back that time. And that led me to eventually leave general surgery, realizing that is not, that was not where I belong and move into addiction medicine. And so started to learn how to work with nervous systems and trauma that were using a substance for an escape and for coping and withdrawing them off of that. And that is where I learned a lot more around working with a nervous system that has had trauma embedded in it and to what I do now, which are online courses and experiences for people and teach practitioners to do the same. It's truly fascinating. I'm sure there are going to be, excuse me, many people listening to this thinking, oh my goodness, this could be the puzzle piece that's been missing. Um, Because by the time women come to me to start to work with me, they've been through multiple doctors, layers of different types of therapies and maybe drugs, um, you know, medications, and nothing is making them feel whole and fulfilled and, and feeling optimized. Right. Um, so I'm really excited about this conversation, but let's, let's start with talking about stored trauma in the body. So some people might resonate with, resonate with this idea immediately. Like they, they recognize it and they've worked on this while other people might be more skeptical. Right. So what is stored trauma in the body? What does it look like? What does it feel like? Do we know when it's happening or if it's there? Yeah, great question and a great place to start as well. And so whether you're like Miguel and you can look at your childhood and clearly see trauma, or you're like me and you look at your childhood and like, I don't, I don't see trauma. I don't know what you're talking about. That's not me. What we understand now is that the body has a trauma response. And there are very specific triggers for the body to go into a trauma response. That helped me shift the focus away from, I'm looking for a horrific event in my life that I don't see, to, all right, well, what are the triggers for my body going into a trauma response? And those triggers, if you wanna simplify everything, those triggers are too much, too fast, or too little for too long. Hmm. And when we have something that is a lot, our body generates a stress response. Mm -hmm. Stress is actually 
a high energy state. We have three different states of our body. I, I liken them to three different operating modes. Just like if you have a car, especially one with a sports mode, your car has three different operating modes. So mm -hmm. does our body. And stress is a highest energy mode. It's when, if we were driving the car, it, the sports mode would be on. We are burning through fuel. We're burning through energy because we're using up all of that energy to take action for whatever problem just arrived in our life. Think of a firefighter who's rushing towards a fire. He's taking action. She's taking action, whatever gender, but it's a, the stress response is a very high energy state. And when whatever is that danger, threat, or challenge in front of us, when it becomes too much, or when it all just happens too fast, our body is not able to keep up and generate the amount of energy that's needed to respond to that degree of threat. And so our body, and by our body, I mean our nervous system, not our brain, but our autonomic nervous system that's in our body, it makes an important decision. And that decision is, it would be best for us to shut down and conserve the energy rather than use up our energy. And in that moment, our body enters into a trauma response. Now, the other trigger for the trauma response was too little for too long. And that's when, because of needs that we have, if, if we can live for without something for a period of time, whether that be touch, love, support, social connection, healthy food, water, hydration, we can, we can live, we can adapt for a period of time, but at some point it gets to be too long. And our body says, I, I can't, I can't operate like this anymore. Hmm. And in order to survive this, the best mechanism strategy for survival seems to be to shut down, to conserve energy. So that's what it feels like to go into a trauma response. It feels like our body has lost that high energy state that you may feel as anxiety or anger, or we call it activation there. It's a high energy state and your body has now shifted into feeling heavy, feeling exhausted, feeling like what's the point. There's, I don't have the energy to care anymore. I use one word to describe that trauma response. And it actually is a word that describes what happens on all levels of our life when our body goes into a trauma response. And that one word is overwhelm. Hmm. We get overwhelmed and we can feel that emotionally. We can feel like this is too much for me to feel, but it also is happening in our biology. In fact, that is the definition of why our body goes into a trauma response. Our ability to respond to our present moment was overwhelmed. And I call it crossing a critical line of overwhelm, where for a certain period of time, I may be able to respond and, and mount that energy, that extra energy that's required. But at some point, either because it's too much too fast or too little for too long, I'm going to cross the critical line of overwhelm that takes my body into a shutdown and a trauma response. And once it's there, it needs something different than what we need in the stress response 
But this literally, Jill, is what's happening in our biology, in our physiology. Trauma is not an event. Trauma is not something that happened in our past. Trauma is a response of our body to overwhelm. So my definition of trauma now is anything that for any reason at that time in our life overwhelmed us, overwhelmed our ability to stay present with it, overwhelmed our ability to respond to it, overwhelmed our ability to process it. Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, who is the author of The Body Keeps the Score, he uses three words to describe the body's trauma response. And I love these words. It's overwhelming. It's unbelievable, meaning I can't believe what's happening. I can't believe I'm here in this place again, maybe. And it's also the third word is unbearable, hmm. meaning the sensations that it's creating in my body, the fear that it's creating in my body, maybe the loneliness, the feeling of being lost and out of control is so strong, so big, it feels unbearable. And so part of the body going into a trauma response is always a pattern of escaping our body. We call that a degree of dissociation not that you actually necessarily leave your body though. Some people do, but it's this idea of it's unbearable. And so I can't allow myself to feel it. And we disconnect from our body. And so the trauma healing journey is always about noticing those patterns in our life today, where we're still using strategies to escape strategies, to distract ourselves, strategies, to numb things, strategies, to avoid feeling uncomfortable feelings, that still, that, that right there represents stored trauma. And part of the trauma healing journey will be to reconnect with our body, but in such a way that it's safe, Jill, because I see so many people jumping into therapy once they know that they need to do it and they overwhelm their body in the process. And we're trying to get out of overwhelm. And so it's possible that even with a good thing, we can re-traumatize ourselves. And we do that if we retell our story without having the tools to move through it and to process it. We can also do that with medical treatments. We can have medical treatments or attempt a detox when we haven't done the preparation phase yet. We can do things that we think are good and healthy, and yet they still are too much too fast. And mm. our body goes into a trauma response in the process. So I'm really glad that you differentiated between an event as trauma versus just the biology of trauma in the body. Because I think this is because I, I think you're right. People listening are, are going to be like, Jesus, what happened to me when I was a kid? I got to, you know, maybe their parents are deceased and they don't have anyone to ask now. Right. Like I'm going to go and ask my mom, did something happen to me? <laughs> right. So I think it's really important to differentiate those two um, ways of thinking about stored trauma, because I know when I first started researching about you and this topic, I was thinking it was from an event for sure. And then the other thought I had while you were just describing that all so eloquently is there, what are all these triggers out there that trigger the response and things just like COVID right? I work with so many people coming out of COVID who just became immobilized, right? Lonely. They all of a sudden, you know, gained 50 pounds, like all, all these things, 
all these adverse things that happen to them. Also things like the politics, right? Politics, war, all of these things. I have a client who, you know, is deeply affected by these things where it inhibits her from moving forward in her life. And so, um, are those the examples you're, you're talking about in terms of there's the triggers and those triggers and depending on how you're built genetically or biochemically is how those manifest in each person in a unique way. Is that what you're saying? We each have our own biology. Mm -hmm. And so while trauma becomes our biology and disrupts a lot of our biology, that same biology now turns around and keeps us stuck in a chronic trauma state. And adding to that, we live in a culture that is both too much too fast <laughs> and in other ways, too little for too long. Both. Yeah. We, we, we are overwhelmed with information. We are overwhelmed with fear-based messages. We're overwhelmed with technology. We're overwhelmed with lights and sounds. We're overwhelmed by that. Our nervous system is overwhelmed by that. And we live in a culture where we are undernourished, uh, causing, creating the too little for too long. And we see it in our food, just how the food is modified and it yeah. actually creates malnourishment, even though we're still eating the same or more calories. And even how things are set up socially, we are living deprived of the level of social support that we were intended to have. And so given all of that, given that we live in a world right now that is both too much too fast and too little for too long, and then we have a biology that can make us vulnerable and susceptible to becoming overwhelmed, it's the perfect setup. And so most people are walking around with some degree of stored trauma, not knowing that that is what's driving their challenges in their life, relationships, and their physical health. Makes perfect sense. Let's talk about the nervous system um, because there's different types of nervous systems and they are responsible for different things. And I think it's very confusing to people out there. So if you could break down how our nervous system works and its connection with this stored trauma. Absolutely. And this is so fascinating because once you understand the anatomy mm -hmm. of the nervous system, it makes perfect sense that the body has this trauma response, but without knowing that it can be confusing. So I break it down into our brain, which is the central nervous system. And this is the, uh, this is the command center for our higher thinking, but we have these other systems that do different things. We have one system that's called the autonomic nervous system. And that is where it runs all of our autonomic functions of our body. And it does it in such a way that we don't have to think about it. <laughs> so it's wonderful. We don't have to tell our kidneys to be filtering our blood and creating urine for us. We don't have to be thinking about telling our digestive system, okay, now you need to be secreting that pancreatic juice. And now you need to be secreting the bile. And now we need to be absorbed. Like it would be so much to try to manage all of that. So thankfully we have an autonomic nervous system that handles all of that automatically. Now there are 
two different branches really of that autonomic nervous system that we need to know as it relates to the trauma response. One is the sympathetic nervous system. And that is a, a chain of nerves that goes down our spine. That's going to be what communicates a stress response. So that when you have that challenge that's confronted, that's confronting you, you mount that by communication going down that sympathetic chain and it starts to communicate, okay, release adrenaline. And then you have about 15 minutes of adrenaline and then you get cortisol. All of that is mediated by the sympathetic nervous system, which is also why if you are experiencing a lot of high anxiety, just putting heat on your back can soothe that sympathetic nervous system. Mm. So it's <clears throat> knowing the anatomy can really help you out there. And then we have something that's called the vagus nerve. Now the vagus nerve comes out of our brain stem and it actually comes out of the brainstem area called medulla area, which all you need to know about that is that it controls your bodily functions. So it controls your heart rate. It controls your breath rate. It controls both above the diaphragm and below the diaphragm. And this is a very interesting nerve because while it controls all of that, it has two, what I call train stations. And depending on which train station the train is leaving from will depend on the message going out to your body. One of those train stations is what would be the rest and digest, or we would call that the social engagement where uh, it's, it's called ventral parasympathetic and you are open, you're curious, you're grounded, you're feeling centered and calm. I call this your calm aliveness state where you're calm, but yet you're not exhausted and falling asleep. Calm. You're calm and yet very alive. And so that train goes from the ventral, the ventral parasympathetic nucleus from the brainstem, and it travels down and it spreads that message of, okay, let's be in calm alive right now. And this is truly when we are in our best health, where we're able to have the energy both to be present and be engaged and to do things like take out the trash <laughs> so that we're clearing out trash from our cells, oxidative stress. We're able to do all of those functions that we don't do when we're either in the stress or the trauma response. So it's kind of like a flow state. Yes. The flow state. This is your flow state and it's communicated by the vagus nerve. Okay. Now, interesting that the vagus nerve, again, if you understand the anatomy, it, it goes right behind your esophagus, which is the uh, structure that goes into your stomach. So when you swallow anything, it travels down your esophagus, down into your stomach, and the vagus nerve is there all the way down. And so this is why if you're feeling anxious or uncomfortable, you drink a, a glass of water and you feel better and you don't know why, or you, we can do emotional eating and we don't really know why it makes us feel better. It's because the vagus nerve is right there and it's getting all of that stimulation from whatever we eat and drink. Very interesting. But at the point in which we get overwhelmed, and so let me just walk us through that. Say if we're starting in the flow state, we have a trigger, our system immediately starts to shift into that sympathetic state with a trigger. That's the startle response. It's not a stress response yet, it's a startle. So it's like a, a miniature stress response, right? I'm just startled. I don't know if this is a real danger yet. But as soon as our nervous system collects 
information, either from what we see, what we hear, what we smell, all of that information informs it of whether this is real or not. And the moment that we decide, no, this is real, then we go all the way into a full stress response. The moment that our stress response gets overwhelmed, we're not able to generate and sustain that energy demand. Then what happens is that the communication goes back to the vagus nerve to communicate the trauma response, which, which is a shutdown response. But this time the train is leaving from a different station. And this station is called the dorsal, meaning just the one in back. So it's, it's the train station in back. And when that train leaves that tra train station, it communicates to all of our body down to every cell, conserve energy, conserve energy. But I need to clean up trash. No, no, you're not going to clean up trash. You need to save every little bit of energy that you can, because I think that's our best strategy to survive. And that is why a person just after a phone call can get up and feel like, oh, I'm so tired. It's because that phone call overwhelmed yeah. your body in some way. And your body just went into a trauma response and you feel that heaviness and that exhaustion. And it's because your body is in an energy conservation state. And so this is, this is how our energy levels can even shift so dramatically. And we know that it has really nothing to do with what we ate or if there's an infection. No, it's, it was just a change in the state of our nervous system because each of those three states has a very different energy level associated with it. Now, does the stress response always go to both train stations or are there things that we can do to just go to one train station and not get to the second one? Yeah. So here's the really cool thing. We don't need to go into overwhelm from a stress response. And yet most of us do because we've been programmed that way. And so mm. it's actually become a habit. Yeah. And we haven't been taught and told how to complete a stress response. And so once our body goes into that high stress, it has one of two options. One option is to complete it, which means to resolve it. And we come back into parasympathetic and we have a rhythm of stress, but then recovery. And we don't even go into the trauma response. We don't even get overwhelmed. We were able to complete that stress response. But if we don't complete a stress response, the body gets overwhelmed. And oftentimes what's happened is that we're not completing a stress response. So it becomes chronic stress. And our body gets overwhelmed either because of the intensity of the response that is needed or the duration of the response that is needed. If we were going on a road trip, it's going to be both, well, how fast do I need to drive this car that will determine how fast I burn through my fuel, but it's also how long are we going? And that both of those, the intensity and the duration determine if my stress response gets overwhelmed. And when something becomes chronic, just because I don't know how to complete my stress responses, then it's going to turn into a trauma response and reinforce that. And the more times that we reinforce that, the more times it actually becomes a habit through neuroplasticity. So we can actually have neuroplasticity working against us 
because it's just adapting to what we always do. And if we always get overwhelmed, well, then I guess that's what we're supposed to do. And I'm just going to do it without thinking about it. And it literally becomes someone's default. So a common pattern that I see in people over time is that initially they start just cycling back and forth between feeling stressed and then feeling overwhelmed, feeling stressed and feeling overwhelmed. They never actually land in parasympathetic or the ventral parasympathetic, the rest and digest. They cycle back and forth, but that takes a toll on their body. And the more times that they do that, the less capacity they have to once again, generate an energetic response. And so over time, they just start spending more and more time in overwhelm and more and more time in overwhelm until eventually they're waking up overwhelmed. They're waking up having thoughts of, oh, I don't want to get up. I don't want to start my day. I'm already overwhelmed by my day that hasn't even started. They're waking up with their body in a trauma response, not realizing that this is what it is. They're thinking, oh, I'm getting old. I'm getting burnt out. I need to take a vacation, but I can't. And so what do they do? They actually create stress so that they can use that adrenaline to pull themselves up out of that trauma response and give them energy to get something done, whether it's to get to work or get a job done. And as soon as they do that, guess what they start to feel? They start to feel that heaviness again. Like, oh, I know, let me grab some coffee. Let me grab some sugar. And we start to see all these coping mechanisms that are used for when we are low in energy, all realizing that that's actually just this pattern of I'm trying to stay out of the overwhelm. And this is the only way that I know how to do that now. Right. What's the shortcut here? Just let let me take a shortcut. Fascinating. And a great segue into my next question is what is happening to someone when they have this stored trauma in the form of what's going on in their body from a biochemical um, lens? Because you're already saying a lot of things, right? Um, You know, people feeling this overwhelm, the stress, the fatigue, you know, right? But there's got to be so many other underlying things going on biochemically. Um, And I also want to just mention that a lot of my listeners are menopausal women, right? And this is a time where a lot of us are, you know, our kids have gone off to college and maybe we're empty nesters at this point or close to it. Maybe we're still working on a a, a wonderful career or we're getting ready to retire. And this is like the last third of our life and we should kick ass during it. But so many women feel this overwhelm. Yeah, there's a reason why most of the people coming through my courses are women in menopause, perimenopause area. And the reason is, is that the hormones are actually shifting. And that actually is a time that the body is naturally more open and receptive to doing some of this work. Mm. So knowing that, that gives us hope. And it's like an opportunity for me to work with my body rather than fight my body like I feel like I've been doing. And so it's true that as we come to this stage of life and we're feeling like we're coming from a place of depletion. And when we're coming from a place of depletion, that's going to show up in all areas of our life. But one of the most important concepts here is that when trauma becomes this chronic state and becomes stored, 
that depletion is happening all the way down on the cellular level. Mm-hmm. And so what we're feeling emotionally, whether that's overwhelm or depletion or whatever it is, that's also happening on the cellular level. So biochemically, what's happening is that our mitochondria, which are the factory houses inside of our cells that are making energy, they actually take a big hit. And they are the ones that are communicating to our autonomic nervous system, the state of their cell. So if it's a healthy cell, it's sending messages to the nervous system of, Hey, we're doing good here. If you need a little more energy, cause there's a stress that comes along, we can give that extra little juice to you. But with time, and again, as, as time goes on with things becoming chronic, our cells are in a state of depletion. They, they don't have what they need. Their nutrients are depleted. Magnesium being one of the most common nutrient deficiencies across the Western world, zinc being another one. And these are ones that actually make our nervous system more sensitive, make it more raw, make us react easier. And it creates a deficiency with even making energy. We need magnesium to make energy. And so it's actually creating a state in which we can't generate a stress response. And it becomes this chronic survival strategy of our nervous system to say, we, we can't do anything hard, anything that's hard. And we don't have the energy for that. And so we just shut down. And so we get to this point in our life where we feel our body is just not able to keep up with us. We have these dreams, we have these goals, and literally down at the cellular level, our cells don't have what they need to support our dreams. Another biochemical change that happens with trauma as it becomes chronic is oxidative stress. Oxidative stress is uh, similar to inflammation, but it's a specific type of inflammation that is mostly a byproduct of toxins or a byproduct of our own uh, energy production. And when we are spending the, uh, the time that we need in parasympathetic, we have the energy to clean up that waste. We have the energy to clear out the, the oxidative stress. We have our detoxification pathway, our glutathione, all of these things that help us clear out oxidative stress. And when it's functioning well, we have no problem clearing out the natural oxidative stress that will accumulate. Now, given our world that we live in, we are accumulating more oxidative stress than what was intended. And if there's any compromise in our biology, like with going into a trauma response that compromises our energy utilization, that oxidative stress is going to accumulate. And what happens is that it starts accumulating outside of our cells. So there's this constant message of danger and not just danger, but oxidative stress is a life threat to a cell. I mean, a cell may die if there's too much oxidative stress around it and it's inescapable because the cell can't go anywhere. This oxidative stress is inside of us. And so here we have what is considered and felt and perceived by our nervous system to be an inescapable life threat of oxidative stress. And as that continues to keep us in the trauma response as well, that oxidative stress starts to accumulate inside of our cells. And then not only inside of our cells, but inside of our nucleus, which is where we house our DNA. And our DNA is our very core. 
of all the things in our body to maintain the integrity of it's our DNA because it's our DNA that makes all of our proteins that makes all of our enzymes. It's, it's, all of the books that are read in order to create everything that we need to, to live life. And as the oxidative stress starts to accumulate around our DNA, there starts to be more damage to our DNA than what our body has the energy to repair. We naturally have repair mechanisms and it's a beautiful thing. Our DNA gets unfolded. These enzymes pop in. They literally read, they, they literally run around these DNA tracks, repairing all the damage and then wraps it up back with like a, a bow and a tie. And all right, you're good to go on to the next DNA. But when there's too much oxidative stress, again, too much, too fast, right? Mm -hmm. Too much oxidative stress that actually starts to accumulate DNA damage, which then really becomes those conditions and diagnoses that we would consider epigenetic things like cancer, things like PTSD. These are thought to be epigenetic conditions that are triggered in our own lifetime by the accumulation of oxidative stress. Explain so, what epigenetics is real quick. Ah, yes. Thank you. So epigenetics is, is how our DNA is read. So if I were walk, walking into a library, it is which books am I going to pull off of the shelf to read? All the books are there. All of our genes are there, but which ones am I actually going to read? Well, that's epigenetics. And so it puts little tags on which book am I going to read? Which gene am I going to read? And it changes in our own lifetime. So not only is epigenetics how generational trauma seems to be passed on, but epigenetics changes based on our own adaptation to our environment, strongly to oxidative stress. And so this seems to be one of the biggest mechanisms by which trauma, again, exchanging that word for overwhelm, overwhelming life experiences actually do become our diagnoses later in life. Wow. So interesting. Um, I was going to ask you about genetics, right? So are there certain genetic snips that predispose certain people to having the overwhelm trauma, the overwhelm stress response more than others, like MTHFR, right? So I'm homozygous for that. My All five of my children are homozygous for it. Some of them, one of my sons, and he wouldn't mind me sharing this with him at all, but he's just hit seven years of sobriety. So, you know, he's worked on his stored trauma and his, his health journey. Um, but, you know, I see how it manifested a little bit differently, but with some common denominators among all of them. So it's just wondering if there is a connection to that with that. Yeah. Great question. And it's going to be a combination of everything, Jill, right? And so we're born into this world and it's a combination of our own biology that can make us more susceptible. And then to the experience, to the environment that we are born into and how any of that changes over time. One of the things that we are born with is our methylation status. And so, for example, I am also an undermethylator, which for me has also meant a lower activity of serotonin and dopamine. Those are two important neurotransmitters or brain chemicals that influence my capacity for attachment. So early in my life, 
because I was born with this, I would have been less available. My system would have been less available for attaching with my mother because of my own biology and the lower activity of serotonin and dopamine. We, we actually need dopamine for bonding. It is a form of becoming addicted to someone, right? Like we're supposed mm-hmm. to become addicted to our birth mother uh, when we are babies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then that also starts to form the beginnings of how we get dopamine moving through the rest of our life, where we get dopamine through social engagement mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. connecting it with authenticity with someone else. And when that system gets off or our dopamine activity is lower, we start seeking other ways to get dopamine outside of what was intended. And that's where we see addictions develop. That's Mm -hmm. where we see high risk behavior and the adrenaline junkies. They're all looking to just get a dopamine hit. And a lot of that is sometimes what we can be born with. Sometimes it's also what we accumulate along the way. And brain inflammation is one of the biggest biology factors that will both be a result of stored trauma and keep us stuck in stored trauma. Brain inflammation will affect our neurotransmitters and our brain chemistry. And so it will disrupt that. And then because of that disruption, make us more susceptible to experiencing overwhelm going forward. So as, as a harsh reality as it is, trauma begets more trauma. And when we get overwhelmed, the changes that it causes in our biology make us more susceptible to overwhelm in the future. And so being able to understand some of our own biology and whether that was things that we were born with or things that were a result of prior uh, experiences, for example, the brain inflammation can also be from hitting your head, from a whiplash, from a brain injury, or from being born premature. Those are all things that being born premature actually has a stronger influence on your system than genetics does Hmm. in terms of the, the changes that it does to your nervous system and makes you so susceptible and vulnerable to overwhelm in the future. Add to that, if you are born premature and you have the genetics for a methylation imbalance and low serotonin and low dopamine your system is going to go into overwhelm. It, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to happen. And that's where people can have the best parents ever. And yet their body has a story of trauma and even early trauma. And it had nothing to do with their parents. Hmm. It just had to do with their own body, their own biology, the circumstances around their early life experiences that created overwhelm at that time in their life. Dr. Amy, there's a lot of parents listening right now, or a lot of moms maybe listening right now thinking, oh, I'm so happy to hear that. Like I didn't screw up as bad as I thought. (laughs) It's not all my fault. Totally right. I love that. (laughs) Well, all such fascinating information. All right. So now we know what stored trauma looks like in the body, what it feels like. We know some of the biochemical changes that are going on. So what do we do now? Well, if we want to have a different life moving forward, we have options. It is an option to not do anything, right? And and some people choose that option and we can right. see them. Yeah. And we can see them at the end of their life and the, the regrets that they have for the life unlived that they had. But that is an option. And there is no shame in that option for saying, you know what? 
I just don't want to deal or face any of that. It's in the past. Let me leave it in the past and let me just finish this life off. If we want something different, that's when we need to learn how to create different experiences for ourselves, meaning how to actually complete our trauma responses, help our body come out of a chronic trauma state. And part of that will be looking at the biology that will keep us stuck in that trauma state. It's like unblocking our own biology, our body. And, and you know this, I mean, you work with the body. The body is designed to heal itself. Yeah. I spent three and a half years as a general surgery resident and I watched me do incredible damage to the body by cutting it open and it would heal every time. Like the incisions would heal and I wouldn't have to talk to it. I wouldn't have to take them to therapy, right? Like the body, <laughs> the yeah. body knows how to heal when it has everything it needs. And so that's the approach that we get to come looking at our stored trauma is my body has not had what it has needed to heal. How can I give that to it now? What does it need now? And what I've determined is the process is we actually have to start with working with this trauma response because it is what is keeping us stuck in what I call the body trauma loop, just the stress and overwhelm and stress and overwhelm and stress and overwhelm. And so while we can think that, well, I'm stressed, let me work with my anxiety. Actually, what we need to work with first is what's driving all of that. And that's going to be this trauma response and this stored trauma. And there are very specific things that it needs. And so we can learn how to give it those things that it needs. It needs safety. It needs time and it needs energy. Those are the three things that our body needs to come out of a chronic trauma state and then to complete uh, and resolve and process stored trauma. But we haven't given it any of those things, Jill, right? Like we, we haven't given our bodies a felt sense of safety. In fact, we've hated our bodies. We're telling our bodies how much we hate it. <laughs> Not giving our bodies actually that felt sense of right here, right now, I'm, I'm safe. We constantly live in a state of feeling insecure. So that's one of the first things that we have to learn how to shift. And we cannot expect someone else to come in and do this for us. By the time we are an adult, no matter how the trauma happened, it is now our responsibility to give our bodies what it needs now. And so I teach exercises on how to create a felt sense of safety. And when people go through this, one of the most common things that I hear them say, I had no idea that I did not feel safe. Hmm. That was just how I was living life. I didn't stop to think about it. It wasn't until I created that felt sense of true safety in my body that I realized I've never felt this way before. What would be an example of helping your body feel safe? Great question. I use somatic work to help accomplish that. And so these are basic, uh, what I would consider basic, simple exercises that involve connecting with the body and usually some kind of movement because movement is how we interact with our nervous system, our nervous system being what moves us. And so their, their movements and their different ways of contacting with our body to create a felt sense of right here, right now, I'm safe. There's no danger around me. And, um, 
what, what we can do is we can learn how to create these so quickly that within two minutes, I can feel like I'm on the verge of going into overwhelm and I can pull myself back and actually land in a place of feeling safe enough. And now I am in a, in a much better place to think about how to respond to this thing that just happened. But being able to have tools in the moment is really important. Now that sense of safety though, cannot just be limited to, well, I'm gonna do what I call like a push away exercise, or I'm gonna do a VU exercise, or I'm gonna do a containment exercise. All of these are ones that create a felt sense of safety for our body. It also is going to be addressing our biology. Because if my cells are deficient in magnesium, that sense of safety, Jill, is going to be temporary. Yeah. Because as soon as I start getting back into my work, or as soon as I get, you know, start to do the rest of my day, my body's going to sense like, oh, I don't know if we can create enough energy for this. And it's going to go back into that feeling unsafe. And so it's a combination of three things to create both the felt sense of safety and the energy and the time that our body needs to come out of a chronic trauma state. The other element is working with our thoughts. I do this through what's called parts work or internal family systems. And this is where we can recognize that we have different parts of us. So I have a part of me that is a young, scared little girl. And that part has fears that when she gets triggered, she has one line of thinking, like I need to go eat a brownie, for example. I have another part of me that says, don't you dare eat that brownie. Haven't you been listening to Jill? You know how bad brownies are. You know what it'll do to your digestive system. Mm -hmm. And so I have these two competing parts that create a ton of internal conflict for me. And I don't know which, which way to go. I don't know what to do because no matter what I do, the other part of me is going to beat me up and criticize me. And so we have to learn how to work with that internal conflict and these parts and these thoughts, the, the inner critic, for example, right? If we have a strong inner critic, oh, it's going to be hard to find a felt sense of safety because yeah. she's going to, or he's going to continue to beat us up. So those are the elements that I use to create a felt sense of safety for our body. The somatic work, which is connecting, actually connecting with our body, doing some exercises, some movement, some, some contact with our body in very specific places that refer to the anatomy of our nervous system, the thought work and the parts work for the internal conflict, and then the biology so that I'm actually resourcing myself and my cells and getting them out of that state of deficiency and depletion. So when you're talking about the biology and restoring that to optimal um, function, you're really talking about personalizing possible supplementation for people, right? Where, where are their micronutrient deficiencies? I do this test with my clients and I can see where their deficiencies lie. Um, I, I, I think there are some common denominators like magnesium that most people, if not everybody needs, right? Maybe some vitamin D and some other things, but beyond the basics, I think that there's a way to personalize this approach based on someone's unique biology. You it's, have to do, yeah, right? Yeah. You have to, or otherwise, yeah. I mean, I guess if you can't, it might just take you longer because you're guessing in the dark. But yep. I love to be deliberate. I love to be, right. I love, I love to be precise. I think I got that from my years in general surgery, right? I, I love yeah. to be precise about knowing exactly what, what I need to address that will give me the biggest return. 
Yeah. This is where those um, online groups get really dangerous for a lot of women. They go there seeking a way to get out of the overwhelm, right? If we're just talking about the stress response and overwhelm and what worked for their friend, you know, that lived two doors down is not going to necessarily work for them because we all have different genetics and a different biology and, um, and a different lifestyle. We, and our, our stories are different, right? Our childhood, our stored trauma, it's all different. It is all different. And being able to recognize that is, is really helpful so that it takes away maybe some of the shame of, well, this worked for my friend. Why isn't this working for me? And right. being able to come into a very different relationship with my body where literally I get on the same team as my body. Yes. That's, you have to do that if you're going to work through stored trauma in your body. Because if you're fighting your body, if you see your body as the problem, as the enemy, it's not going to go very far. You're, you're going to continue to, to re-traumatize yourself as, as you put your body back into a state of, of feeling alone and abandoned by you. Yeah. <laughs> we don't want that. We don't want that. And it's also very helpful to see that when it comes to the trauma response, there's just one trauma response. So I get a lot of questions around, but I've had this specific trauma. Will your course help with my specific type of trauma? And my response is the body has one trauma response. Mm. So everyone needs to learn the tools and the skills to recognize a trauma response and be able to do the work to resolve those, to repair those, to complete mm -hmm. those. And that is different than the biology. Yes. Those are tools that I feel like should be taught in kindergarten, right? Like you, you fall off of the, of the slide and you feel that shock. What do you do? We're not taught that in kindergarten. We're taught to stop crying about it, pick yourself up and move on. Right. And right. You know, like that is so counterintuitive to what the body needs. And so there are some, just some common basic skills that everyone needs to know for for it's like the, the manual for their nervous system. And there are important skills like changing the oil that, that everyone needs to do, no matter what kind of car they drive. <laughs> And then being able to see that my capacity is going to be directly related to my biology and my biology, well, as you say, can have some very common, um, common threads, like everyone else's, like the magnesium deficiency, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Thing, vitamin D deficiency is a very common mm -hmm. thing. There are two of the things that are on my, let's just start here because mm -hmm. we know that you need it. So I love, I love that it's on your list as well. And then at that point, it really starts to become very individualized and personalized. Yeah. But at the end of the day, we're all still working just on our nervous system. Yeah. And so there are these principles. And when people, I think, come into, um, come into a group like, like mine, where we're all working on the trauma response, it helps them normalize the process and not continue to feel that they're different. Mm -hmm. that what they've experienced is different, that no one can understand them. They come to realize that, oh, no, like this is the trauma response and everyone's body has a trauma response. Right. And, and let's normalize that. Let's get over it. Let's get over the stigma of it. And let's just learn how to work right. with it and shift it. And then being able to find what elements make me unique that have kept me stuck, unblock those and see what I have and can do for the rest of my life. 
I mean, this is part of a longevity journey, right? Like the whole point right now in our lives in midlife is what is going to keep us free of chronic disease states for the next, you know, two, three, four, and possibly five decades of life. And so I would think that learning these skills now um, is only going to help with preventive um, chronic disease states down the road. I mean, in my opinion, it's the most important thing that yeah. a person can do because yeah. as, as my understanding of the body, the, the autonomic nervous system is what determines our operating state. And so if your operating state is one of fear, is one of insecurity, it's only going to create disease. It's the only right. outcome that can come from that. And so learning how to shift your operating state is the most important thing that it will, that you can do because it will affect everything downstream. It will affect every tissue, every organ, yeah. every system, every cell, because it's the operating system that drives everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're coming to an end, but I don't want to slide by lifestyle interventions and how important those are and the role they play in this process as well. So, you know, you don't have to spend a lot of time, but just how important is someone really also at the same time working on their lifestyle, they're optimizing their sleep, um, learning how to manage their stress, which I would think through your work, they're also learning a lot about that, but also food choices, right? Learning what is necessary for their body in order to thrive, not just survive. Um, and then movement, right? Daily movement. So what, do, how do those play a role here? They're everything. They're everything. And here's why when, when trauma kind of starts to become stored in a chronic state in our body, it disrupts our sleep and it disrupts our gut and it disrupts our movement and not just our movement in general, making us less able to tolerate exercise, for example, because we fatigue easier perhaps, but even down to our movement in our extracellular matrix, it makes our extracellular matrix more rigid, which means that our lymphatic flow is poor, which means that we're going to accumulate more toxins. And if we're not sleeping well, we're not clearing out those toxins as well. So I think of the nervous system and my nervous system, my autonomic nervous system as literally a cup every day. And how big is my cup? What's my capacity? I use that word a lot, capacity. What is my capacity? Because once I reach my capacity, if I keep trying to pour more in, it's just going to make a big mess. And I've made a lot of big messes in my life until I learned this term around capacity. Because if I overflow my capacity, I'm going into the trauma response. And my capacity is both my capacity for joy, but it's also my capacity for stress. So this is my capacity. And if I don't get a good night's rest, what happens to my capacity? It's a lot lower. I can tell you about mm -hmm. my experience. If I eat a food that creates an immune reaction and all of a sudden my gut has inflammation, what has happened to my capacity? It goes down, way down, way down. And yes, we have all the science to show why that is of the effects of the inflammation on the vagus nerve, uh, the, the products, the byproducts of bacteria and inflammation traveling through our blood. I mean, we know the science, but at the end of the day, it takes my capacity down. If I'm not moving, I'm not moving and delivering oxygen and sugar well to my cells. 
And so that's going to decrease my capacity. They're going to feel that they're in a state of deficiency. So all of these things that we would consider lifestyle Mm -hmm. are actually directly impacting my capacity for my autonomic nervous system. And it's changing where that critical line of overwhelm is. If I am well-resourced, I slept well, my diet is tuned in. Well, my line of critical, my, the critical line of overwhelm is way up here. I, mm-hmm. I can tolerate all this stress and it not overwhelm me. But if I didn't sleep well, and then as a result, I ate something for breakfast that I shouldn't have, I can't tolerate stress, the smallest thing, and I am losing it. And so all of these lifestyle things I have learned require, well, it's an invitation for deep investment of time to figure out how to optimize those, knowing that they have a direct correlation with my trauma response. And I don't want to be setting myself up for going into a trauma response. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Wow. Dr. Amy, what an amazing episode with you. Just so much information, so intriguing and fascinating. Um, I forgot that, that I had to be the one to ask you questions because I was so ingrained in all of the things you so eloquently describe and break down for people. Um, tell us where people can find you, what's coming down the pipeline, um, all the things, do you have free resources on your website and about your groups, all of it? I do. I have lots of free resources. I like to educate people and empower yeah. them with knowledge. Love that. And at the same time, at the same time, information will not change us. Only experiences change us. And so yeah. at some point we're going to need to go on a journey together. And that's what I call my foundational journey, where we go on a journey into your nervous system. And so all of my free guides, they can find on my website, traumahealingaccelerated.com. I also have a podcast. They can find that uh, biologyoftrauma.com podcast. Which is fabulous, by the way. Oh, thanks, Jill. Yeah. And the guides that I have go into the science. And so one of the guides that I think would be particularly helpful for your audience would be the steps to identify and heal trauma. How, tell me again, how, how do I identify and recognize that I have stored trauma? That would be that guide. There's also a guide on the essential sequence for addressing stored trauma. And based on all that we were able to cover today, I feel like that would be another very helpful educational guide for understanding. All right, now that you know that you have stored trauma, what is the essential sequence for us to be precise about working ourselves out of this? Yeah, I will um, attach all of that to the show notes. Um, And aren't you working on a project as well? Yes, project. A big project. I am writing my book on the biology of trauma. That is my current big project. Uh, We've got a number of things going on. We're training practitioners now around the world. So we have a biology of trauma professional directory on the website that people can find professionals who are trained in this biology of trauma lens with a variety of backgrounds. And we also uh, are moving into translating our content into multiple languages so that people around the world can have access to this information. So exciting, exciting things and being able to, um, for me, Jill, it really comes down to being able to see, be a witness to people's incredible transformation that they had almost lost hope for because they've, they've maybe tried so many different things or they've been in therapy for 30 years and, and to see that change is quite incredible. It is. I, that's why I have such a passion with working with midlife women, because they do feel coming in that 
you know, what's left, what can I do? And then they leave with just this toolbox exactly. filled with strategies and information and knowledge and empowerment. It's amazing. Well, Dr. Amy, thank you again for your generous time and um, passion around this topic. And uh, we'll have to have you back again and talk about other things because there's so much more to this. Would love that, Jill. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Lifestyle changes can be hard and overwhelming to make. By building your support team of functional medicine doctors, therapists, and health coaches, you can reach your optimal health goals. Be sure to check out my other podcasts. Until we meet again, stay healthy.